Matt, long hair. I'm with him, man. I'm, I'm trying to follow in your footsteps, buddy. I'm going to catch up one of these days. Hey, uh, we are going to continue on. We have been, uh, this is the third Sunday I preach. We're going to continue and kind of give the third and final uh, sermon to, um, again, the goal. Uh, what is God, what is Jesus, what is the Holy Spirit uh, uh, leading us to? What is he doing in and through us? What is the goal for which we are following Christ this morning? I think it's so important to kind of uh, revisit these types of things because I've been going to a physical therapist, chiropractor, friend of mine, and uh, after a few weeks, you know, he was like, okay, what's the goal? Where are we headed? What are we trying to accomplish? All right? And I was like, oh, that's really good because he's like, there's a number of things we could do, but it all depends on where are we trying to get to. And I think that's just really important for us as believers in Christ to every once in a while reevaluate, hey, what is the goal? Where are we headed? We are not running aimlessly, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We are not running aimlessly. We are running towards an end. And uh, let's be clear on that, because I think that will help us in what we're to do today, in the present. And so we've kind of implicitly um, and explicitly talked about rules, the do's and the don'ts of the, the commands in the New Testament, and how we kind of come to them. I encourage you last week um, to really ask yourself, what's my motivation behind obeying God's word? Um, what is it? And is it really fueled by insecurity? Insecurity in God's love, insecurity uh, in something else, fear of God. What may it be? I really encourage you, if you didn't hear that message, revisit that, listen to that. I think it was really, really good. And so today we're going to continue on. I kind of mentioned identity last year, week, and we're going to really focus on identity this week. And now, again, I think if you've been in the church uh, for a long time, you've probably heard countless messages and devotionals and books on identity. So I promise this is going to be from a slightly different angle. I think it'll be really beneficial. And again, I think it's going to help us. Um, again, as we follow God today, and as we go where he's taking us, and what he wants to accomplish, we have to talk about our identity. Okay? So, just as a thesis, we're going to address pre-modern societies. How pre-modern. So think of Jesus' society when he was here on earth. Think about his time frame. How did those societies go about identity or addressing identity or finding their identity? We'll fast forward to our modern day society to kind of understand our time in which we uh, live, understand the culture and the environment that we live in and how we kind of tend to, as a culture, define identity. And then we'll go to God's word and see how we find our identity in God's word. Okay? Amen? So I have a quote for you. We're going to start there. This comes from a book. Um, I've been reading through it. It is a fantastic book. It is a dense book, uh, but it's called After Virtue. It's by Alistair McIntyre. Um, and really, the premise of the book is just kind of talking about moral philosophy and essentially why is it so difficult to have moral debates and discussions in our modern society. And so he evaluates it. He'll go so much deeper into it than you ever dreamed or thought possible. Super fascinating. But he gave this quote, and I think it's a good launching pad for us. And so you'll have it here on the board. So read it with me. In many pre-modern traditional societies, so think about Jesus' time, Jesus' society in which he lived and walked. All right? In those type of pre-modern traditional societies, it is through his or her membership in a variety of social groups that the individual identifies himself or herself 
and is identified by others. Again, we're talking about identity, all right? We're gonna talk about identity through and through this morning. So again, in many pre-modern traditional societies, it is through his or her membership in a variety of social groups that the individual identifies himself or herself and is identified by others. I am a brother, a cousin, a grandson, a member of this household, that village, this tribe. These are not characteristics that belong to human beings accidentally to be stripped away in order to discover the real me. Okay, you can already start to see some comparing contrast with our modern society. They are part of my substance, defining partially at least, and sometimes wholly, my obligations and my duties. Individuals inherit a particular space within an interlocking set of social relationships. Lacking that space, they are nobody, or at best, a stranger or an outcast. I told you, Alistair McIntyre would take it and run with it, all right? I'll explain this quote if it's a little bit confusing. Again, he's just showing that pre-modern, so think of societies like Jesus, really many societies leading up to about the 18th century, all right? Really, your identity was found in what family do you belong to? What tribe do you belong to? Uh, what role do you take or job in society? That's your identity, all right? So think about the Old Testament, for, for instance. If you can recall, you'll read through the Old Testament, and you'll constantly hear so-and-so, son of so-and-so. You would be identified by what family you belong to, right? You come across David's line. You're a descendant of David. You read that anywhere. Oh, you're a descendant of David. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. That was important. Inevitably, people would see you in a certain light. We do this today, don't we? If I were to say, hey, this is a, this is a Stephen here in Wichita. This is someone part of the Stevens family. People know what I mean. And you're immediately making somewhat of categories and judgments on what this person may be like. If I said this person is a Kardashian, you do the same thing. We do the same thing. We do the same thing in our modern culture. So again, he's just showing that you very much, you would find your identity in the family you belong to. In the Old Testament, you see this person, so-and-so, tribe of Benjamin, tribe of Judah, tribe of Dan. And all these tribes had kind of intimate characteristics that kind of uh, separated them from other tribes. If you were from the tribe of Levi, people would have been like, oh, you're part of that priestly tribe. Oh, that makes a difference. <laughs> Who matching? Who's matching pitch? <laughs> I love it. If you looked at Matthew chapter 13, 50, verses 53 through 58, you see this put against Jesus. Hey, isn't this, isn't this the car carpenter's son? Isn't Mary his mother? Isn't his brothers and sisters so-and-so and so-and-so? Like, he's the Messiah, but we know his family. How can he be the Messiah? That same exact thing, because people were identified by their tribe, by the place in their village, their roles, and what family they belonged to. Again, the last kind of example, Matthew was a tax collector. You hit that right off the bat. You see that, Matthew, tax collector, immediately identifies him as really a social outcast. He sided with the Romans. He did not side with his own people, and he... And the worst, collected taxes, you know? Terrible. And that was identifying of him, and that was marked by him. Super fascinating. 
I want you to revisit this couple sections of this quote because I want us to be really clear on this. These were not characteristics that belonged to human beings accidentally to be stripped away in order to discover the real me. Again, they are part of my substance, defining partially at least and sometimes wholly my obligations and my duties. Think about the do's and the don'ts. Think about the rules. Think about, think about commands in the Bible. This is very important. All right? So this was pre-modern society. Think Jesus' society because we are going to come back to that. Put a little pin in that. We will come back to that. But let's fast forward to our modern society and kind of do a little compare and contrast. How is it different? Well, right off the bat, I think if you're already engaging this, we're all part of our culture. We all can sense it. It's all to some degree, some degree in us or at least pressing on us and trying to influence how we define ourselves. And the first and foremost obvious observation is that, again, painting with a broad brush, obviously, in general, is at least very easy or in the fabric of our culture to find our identity apart from these social rules. Apart from these social rules. Uh, would you agree? It's at least tempting. How, how many times do we watch movies where the, the characters like Guardians of the Galaxy 3? All right, that's the latest one I watched. What does she do? I need to go find the real me. So I'm going to leave the people that are kind of her makeshift family, the people that love her the most, and I have to leave you and go find the real me. How many times do we see that in, in, in movies, in our culture? i got to go find the real me. So I'm going to leave everything that like, I, I ever had, because i got to go somewhere else apart from that and go find the real me. That's kind of our modern society. We try to find the real me, or our identity, is because our identity is apart from these social groups. Here's some pros and cons. Um, we'll start with the pros. If you find your identity apart from these social groups, then look at this. Your job doesn't necessarily define you. I think this is a pro. Very much in pre-modern society, what your job was in society very much is very telling on how much value you had in the society. All right, makes sense? We can very much see that. But in our society, your job doesn't necessarily define you. How much money you make doesn't necessarily define you. Where you live or what family you belong to doesn't necessarily define you. I think these are pros. I think this is, is, this is good. You can have a, a low job in society, and yet I can still say, so think of a garbage, garbage truck driver and a doctor. We can obviously say in society, those are very two uh, different valuable valued uh, professions or vocations, and yet our existentialist modern society would say, no, they still have value. They still have worth. That person's value as a truck driver is not summed up in their driving the truck. They're far more valuable, and I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. If you come from a family that maybe is not respected or maybe has a bad reputation in society, thank God that does not define you. You don't have to be that that family or be like them. Thank God, this is wonderful. Thank God, again, your value and your significance and your worth is not summed up in how much money you make or how talented you are or how smart you are or, or how athletic you are. Praise the Lord. These are tremendous benefits to, to kind of our modern society and how we look at identities. Because again, those pre-modern societies, this is where you get really really kind of the negative side effects of their way of identifying 
was, hey, you're beneath me. You're of this group. The Jews did that to the Samaritans. Samaritans, you're beneath us. I won't even talk to you. You're beneath us. Right? Oh, you do this job? Oh, that's, a, that's kind of a, a laborious job, or that's a look-down-upon job. So I won't even, I can't even talk with you. We can't, you know, be friends. That was the pre-modern society. So I think there's tremendous uh, value or tremendous pros to how our society looks at identity. But just like the pre-modern society, there's good things and bad things. There are some cons, or at least because of this ideology, it opens the door for certain cons. Here's two that I thought of. First one is if you find your identity apart from these social groups, then it undoubtedly gives the philosophical backing and impetus for transgenderism. I'm a boy, and our modern society would say that's more of a social construct. It's just what society has kind of always said. But you are apart from that. That I, that self, that identity is something apart from this physically masculine body. So therefore, if I want to be a girl or a woman, I can do so. Do you see how, how we view identity can shape that thinking? I am not what I do. I am apart from that. I am apart from what I do. So therefore, yeah, transgenderism 100% opens the door for that. And I think in some sense, obviously, there's a number of different reasons why that is in our society, but I think that's at least the philosophical backing for it. Um, I, 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 I reject the, the social norm or the social group in which I was born into as a male, as a female. I'm apart from that. I can be what I want to be. Does that make sense? That's just an observation. That's one. The second one is I put faith without action, religiosity. Again, I am not what I do. I have something apart from what I do. Kind of express that as it pertains to your job. I'm apart from what I do. My value, my significance, my de defining that I, that who I am, is apart from what I do. So it very much opens up the door to a phenomenon that I think we all have at least seen and maybe experienced for ourselves, that we can believe that, yeah, I have faith in God, but I don't really act upon that faith but I still have faith in God, so I'm good. Faith without action, ideology. Just because I don't follow through and obey God's command and live like him and follow him, that's okay because in my head, you know, I believe in God. And I trust him and I believe he's real. I'll give you an example. I have a friend. We were great friends in high school. Great friends. Love the dude to death. Truly, in my heart, in my mind, was a great guy. Great guy. He lives in a different city, and just because of life, and, you know, we're busy, he's busy, tough, yada, 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 uh, you know, we can't connect as much. And I had to be honest with myself that, uh, you know, it would be easy to be like, well, I'm a good friend. Well, I never reach out to him, and I never call him, and I never, you know, you know, try to do this with him and never try to do that with him, never really reach out. I have to stop convincing myself that I'm a good friend to him. My actions do not line up with that. Sure, in my heart and in my mind, I have no ill will for him, but my actions do not follow suit. 
So how can I convince myself that I actually am a good friend to him? I had to stop kidding myself. Do you see how we can easily separate the sentimentality or the faith or the, what we have in our hearts and our heads from action because of our, our current society and how we constantly separate our eye from our, what we do? And this is just, this is just kind of the observation of uh, the temptation that we all have to separate our actions from faith or what we believe or what we think. And we have to be very aware of that. And we have to be really aware of that because, again, we would say, okay, who's, who loves who more? The person who's like, hey, I got good feelings for you, or the person who acts, the person who loves that person physically and actually acts upon those thoughts and those feelings. James chapter 2, faith without action is dead. Man, the guy who walks by and says, you know, peace be with you, wish you well, or the guy that says, hey, let me help you. Think about the Good Samaritan. Think about the Good Samaritan. You had the Levite and the priest who walked on by. Walked on by. It was the Samaritan who helped him up, who took him to the end, who served his needs, who Jesus said, this is how you love a neighbor. This is how you love them. And it's important to be aware of this uh, kind of, con or not contradiction, but just aware of this separation. We can do this very easily in our culture. And it's good to be aware of it because how horrible, how horrible, undoubtedly, just how horrible would it be to not convince yourself of something that you have inside of you but you never acted upon? How horrible, how horrible. Here's the other thing with identity. So we've kind of talked about our modern society and how it can be, yeah, kind of the troubles, the pros and cons. Here's the other thing. We still have an identity that longs to, something apart about us that longs to attach to something. We know this. There's something deep inside of us that wants to be defined by something. And again, the other modern just temptation is to attach it to all these other things. I want to attach it to my job. I want my job to define me, so I put tons of hours into working. I want how much money I make to define me, so I try to make more money and more money and more money. I want my athletic ability or my knowledge or whatever have you define me, so I put tons of time into that, tons of energy into that. And what we can all find, we put anything, put our identity in anything other than God. I think we have all experienced and found that boy, you give it to a very shrewd and harsh master. Oh, the money never satisfies. Rockefeller, probably one of the richest men ever in history. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. How unsatisfying. Oh, man. How, you know... Think of whatever has you, what athletic achievement. It's no longer in our society. I kid you not, I think winning a gold medal in the Olympics, I'm like, well, Michael Phelps won eight in one time. You know, one gold medal is just one gold medal, right? How crazy is that? How many athletes, professional athletes, it's not enough to win one. You have to win two and three and four and five. You have to keep going. 
And you have to keep going. You have to keep putting all that energy, your heart, soul, sweat, into these pursuits to keep getting that identity back placed on you that, hey, I'm worth something. I have significance. I have value. How horrible is it that LeBron James is constantly poo-pooed because he doesn't have as many championships as other people? Oh my golly, he's an amazing basketball player. Holy cow. I mean, yes, okay, I get it, you know. He's not Michael Jordan and he's not Kobe, but golly. He has the most points scored out of anybody in the history of basketball. Cut him a break. I don't know. I get a little bit where they always rag on LeBron James. I'm like, he's awesome. My goodness. Oh, man, I'll get off my soapbox. But anywho, you see how if sometimes you give yourself to these other pursuits, your identity. It keeps exacting more. You have to keep going. You have to gain more. You have to keep proving it. You have to keep proving that you are athletic. You are, have to keep proving you're smart. You have to keep proving that you're enough. And you have to keep proving it and proving it. And it is a harsh master that just keeps heaping on burdens. I love that song, Jason. Just keeps heaping up burdens and burdens and burdens. And thank God, as we come to Christ, we find ourselves in a different identity, a true identity, all the best identity, the lightest identity, all the most wonderful identity. Let's look at God's word this morning. If you will turn to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Let us see how Christ defines us, how God's word defines us. I want to see how that affects everything about us. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. We will read this together. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Amen. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Think about those social, again, social groups. Think about Jesus' time. Go back to the pre-modern quote I talked about. There is neither Jew nor Gentile now. Jesus is breaking that down. There is neither slave nor free. Again, slaves would have been seen very much. You're a slave. Can't talk with you. Can't really do much with you. Slaves were at the bottom. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. Again, think of all the social, again, Jesus' time. Women, men, right? Big time. And Jesus is saying, nope, no more of that. Throw that out. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all equal in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That, talks, that, little, that little verse right there talks about Abraham's seed, Abraham's family. Think about Genesis chapter 12. God's going to make him a great family. You are all now invited into that family. And now you all get to receive your heirs to all the promises God made to Abraham. What a wonderful identity. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is going to be very similar, but also slightly different. And I think it's going to be great to read this as well. Again, as it pertains to identity, our identity in Christ. How does Christ define us? Now that we have put our faith in Jesus. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Ooh, 
Here's that word again. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There we go again, children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. I talked about putting your identity and, and your job and success and wealth and, and, and achievement. That's what he's talking about. That makes you a slave. That makes you a slave. You become a slave to that, and then you can't not do it. How many athletes cannot retire because they can't let go of that identity? Oh, boy. Oh, man. So true. That spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Baba. Love that language. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. There we go again. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. From these passages, and there's many others, I just pulled out two, we are given an identity. An identity. You and I, every person that through faith has put their faith in Christ Jesus, as Galatians said, is now a child of God, a brother and a sister. Man, this is not an arbitrary title. All right? Think back to the pre-modern societies. This role, this title that you have is very much defining on you. It is not like our modern society where it's like, yeah, I'm a brother, I'm a sister in Christ, whatever, you know? There's still more to me than that. No, this is very defining. This is incredibly defining. To the very core of who you are, you are a son or daughter of God. You are part of a great family. And with great families and pre-modern societies, tremendous honor. Tremendous honor. You have been adopted, as the Romans ate, into God's family, God's household. What's really cool about identities is that they give you function and purpose. If I were to say, I am a pastor, naturally that would give me function or purpose. They're kind of, I'm using those synonymously, all right? It gives me purpose. I'm a pastor, so what should I do? I should pastor. That brings with it obligations and duties. I can't really say I'm a pastor if I never come to church and I never read the Bible and I never come to small groups and I hate all of you, okay? No. <laughs> that would be, a, I would safe to say, bad pastor or you don't even, shouldn't even be called a pastor. Huh? But what's neat and what I'm trying kind of implicitly is to show you is that think of all the commands in the New Testament. Think of all the do's and the don'ts. We've talked about rules to follow constantly. They all hang on. They all hang on this hanger. You are a son and daughter of God. And with that identity comes a purpose and a function. Obligations and duties. To live in the household of God. 
And how do you live in the household of God with other people is epitomized in Jesus' command he gave to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Love one another. That is how the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. All these commands, I kid you not, read the New Testament. Whenever you come to a command, you can see the household of God is behind that, giving it depth. These are not arbitrary rules. God didn't, Jesus wasn't like, you know what, I'm here, ready to kick butt and take names and get some followers. And let's make it, you know, not too difficult on them, but somewhat difficult so that they prove their allegiance to me. So I'm going to take away and say they can't do this and they can't do that and they have to do this and they have to do that. Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, hey, I'm inviting you into my family. And I am fulfilling the law. And I am taking forward that purpose that God has enacted through Abraham to make all things new. To redeem the entire world. All of creation, including human beings. And I'm going to build this kingdom here on earth that was as it is in heaven. And I'm going to build and take people into my household, into my family. And I'm going to teach them how to live in my family. How to live in my family. To be good brothers and sisters to each other. And so that means, you know, you don't murder somebody in the household. You know, Sermon on the Mount, don't murder somebody, right? Yeah, don't steal somebody's wife. Makes sense. It's hard to have good relationships if you're trying to take somebody's wife or husband. Right? Think about it. What's great, you also think, look at this. The golden rule. Right? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6. Somewhere in there. Gosh, somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. What's the golden rule? He who has the most gold makes the rule. No, it's not a golden rule. Other golden rule. Other golden rule. Do unto others how you would have done to you. You know what's really cool about that? is it's, it's original with Jesus, at least believed to be original. However, it's some, there is at least belief that there was another phrase like it in circulation at the time of Jesus. Now, whether it was Eastern uh, philosophy, religion, or if it was the Greeks, it's unsure of. But there was another phrase, at least they have found. But guess what? It's tweaked. And check out this difference. I think it's so cool. I think it's so amazing. It just shows how cool Jesus is. The original phrase, or at least what was believed to be at least predated what Jesus said, was don't do anything to another person that you wouldn't have done to you. Do you notice the subtle difference? Don't do anything to another person you wouldn't have done to you. That opens the door for you to do nothing for another individual. That opens the door for you to do nothing for anybody. Just, yeah, don't do anything you wouldn't have done to you. So you do you and I'll do me. And Jesus flips that on its head, and he very much puts you in the active position and says, no, you have to do unto others how you would have done to you. There's this thing called um, negative rightness. I love that term, negative rightness. When I think about sin and have I sinned or not, usually, usually, it goes to, okay, did I do something I was not supposed to do? And that's can be very common to think of sin in that way. But that's negative rightness. I'm just not doing anything I'm not supposed to do. You also have things you're supposed to do. You also have things you have to do. And to not do the things you are called to do is also sin. It's not just a matter of, I don't do anything I don't not supposed to do. You also have to do the things you're supposed to do. 
And that's what Jesus is saying in the golden rule. You have to do unto others how you would have done to you. And we all want love. And we all want appreciation. We all want to be noticed. We all want to be listened to. We all want to be valued. Right? We don't want to be ran over. We don't want to be dominated. So you have to do that to other people. You have to love them. You have to love other people. I love that. Again, that's epitomizing the parable of the talents. Jesus is saying, hey, this guy got five talents. This guy got three talents. This guy got one talent. Five and three guys, they, you know, invested it, made it grow. Guy with the one talent did nothing with it. Jesus rags on that dude. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. Again, we are put in the active position. In God's household, there is something for us to do. We have obligations. We have duties. We have responsibilities. We have commands to follow as being a part of God's family. You have to do. You can't. It's not a matter of just try to be holy. Try to do me. Try not to get defiled. Yeah. You have to do. You have to take up your role in the family of God. Again, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Why were you given spiritual gifts? To build up the body. Not to be like, hey, I'm going to put this in a glass case. You get to look at it. No. To build up the body. Man. What's great, too, and uh, Jeremy and I were talking about this Last night, and I think it was so great that I'm going to include it today. I put it in my notes last night, Jeremy. Let's talk about secondary identities. And I've talked about primary identities. Primary identity is a child of God. Amen. Brother and sister in God's household. That does not mean that you, your unique talents, your height and weight and hair color is completely obliterated. I did not change from a man into non-binary when I came to Jesus. I remained a man. And I think that's what's great about you have these other identities, these second identities. You have these other things. I'm part of this family as well as God's family. I'm a part of this community, Wichita, Kansas, as well as the entire body of Christ all over the world. Right? I have these talents, these giftings. And what's great is you take those, and what do you do with them? You partake in the household of God. You give them. These are gifts. To be served, to serve others in the household of God. To be used for God's glory. To be about God's, your Father, your Heavenly Father's business. That's the other last point I want to make. In pre-modern societies, more than likely, you are going to follow in your father's footsteps. Again, as a male, all right, women, you're going to get married off, and you're going to probably, you're, whoever you married was going to follow in his footsteps. That's kind of how those societies ran. And so Jesus very much is saying, you are in my household. Not only do I want you to live as a family and how you live, I'm going to show you how to live together in my family, but I also want you to be about my heavenly father's business. I want you to be kind of come into the family business. What is that? Kingdom of God. Man, kingdom of God. To be royal priests. Kind of take up your position in the kingdom of God. To see it grow, not only in yourself, but through you into the community. To invite more people into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. To be a priest. To 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 praise God and to live your life bringing glory to God. Right? As the Sermon on the Mount talks about, let the, let the world see your good works and give glory to God. 
a royal priesthood. That's the family business. That's the goal I've been trying to get out and just kind of peel back all the layers for three weeks now. It all comes back to this identity. This is the identity. It is the most defining thing about you. And you cannot define yourself apart from this. You try to do that, and I love his pre-modern quote, you are a stranger or an outcast. And if you read the Jesus' Gospels, you'll have parables that talk about these strangers and the people on the outside. And it's never very good if they're one of the outsiders. You are a part of God's family. And I want to encourage you this morning. You are a part of God's family. We are a part of this church. And that is an amazing thing. And I thank God for this church. And I thank God for all of you. Man, it's a wonderful family. We truly are blessed here at Live Oaks. And I am just so blessed to be a part of this family. And we have to take up our role. Because with that comes obligations and duties. Not just to not do anything bad to disrupt the family, but you also have to be active and do. You have to be a part. You have to serve. You have to give your gifts. You have talents. You have gifts. You have ways that can build up this body that can serve and love and help people, and you got to do it. And you cannot be the person that just buries the talent or just comes passively. There's no lazy family members. My dad has always talked about that. You're part of this family. You've got to do stuff. You've got to do chores. You've got to keep things clean. And you're going to be a part of this. And you're going to help out around the house. It has always been that way my entire life. It has never changed. That is the family of God. We have roles. We have responsibilities. And again, all those rules, all those commands that you see in the New Testament are hung on this. It's just showing you how to live in good community with other people. And it's a wonderful thing. And so our goal is to be a part of God's family. Our goal is to live in God's family well. It's to honor each other. It's to love each other. It's to build each other up. It's tough out there. Right? Home is a safe place. can be a safe place. can often not be a safe place. But going out in the community, we need a safe place to kind of retreat to. And so Sunday mornings are this wonderful place where, hey, we can come together, take a deep breath, be encouraged, be loved on, be helped. You teachers and students and staff are going into the trenches this week. And that can be tough. And man, I hope this morning you can be encouraged and kind of rejuvenated and re-kind of focus. Hey, I have a purpose. Royal priesthood. I'm about my father's business. I'm going out into there to build God's kingdom, to love, to invite others into this great family, to take my role in God's family, to do good works and to have God be praised for them. Amen. And I'm going to do that. And golly, I'm going to ask for God's strength every single day. Because <laughs> it's going to get tough. And it may already feel tough even before it's begun. Amen. But that's our goal. That's what we're leading to. Because guess what? When Jesus comes back, that's what's going to be here. It's going to be his kingdom. It's going to be all things submitted to him. And guess what? We're going to be living in community then like we're trying to do now. So it's not going to stop. It's not going to be like, oh, man, thank the Lord. I'm so tired, Jesus. I can't love this person anymore. Jesus going to be like, well, you're going to be doing it for eternity. So get used to it, you know? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. You know what? Let's, let's close. I want you, if you are a teacher or a staff member or a student going back to school this week, raise your hand. I want you to gather around each and every one of them. Let's get around them. Uh, 
all the parents, homeschoolers, you know, anybody involved in the educational process. Again, anybody in the whole educational process, raise your hand. Let's gather around them. We got everybody, we got all the teachers. Man, I want to pray this over you because I've been praying this like crazy. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Lord Jesus, we pray that. Specifically over our teachers, our staff members, our students, and parents that are teaching their kids at home, and, and everybody involved. And God, over all the teachers, and even those that are not even in the family of God, God, we pray in your name, God, for each and every one, that you would strengthen them in their inner being. They have such a great, important job in our community. And God, we pray that you fill them up with energy, with delight, with purpose, with meaning. And that, God, you help them in every way. May things come together smoothly for them, God. May, may the students be respected, respect, respect them, <laughs> listen to them. God, bless our teachers, bless our staff who are doing some of the behind-the-scenes work. God, bless them, fill them up, Lord Jesus. Fill them up with your strength to continue on, to love, to pour into these students, to help them, Father God, to grow. We were all that age. We were all kind of weird and... and Struggled with all sorts of stuff. It's a difficult time for a lot of students, God. So give, give our staff members, our teachers, patience and empathy and wisdom and how to guide them and lead them, Lord Jesus. Father, God, bless our students. Help them, God. May you give them peace that surpasses understanding. As they come into this new school year, God, help them to work hard. Help them to be motivated. God, bless their mind. Help them to be able to focus and to learn. God, help them in every step of the way through this school year. And whatever may come, God, Lord Jesus, may we always come back to you each and every day as the branches depend on the vine. May we all depend on you each and every day, God, for our daily bread. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this family that we are all a part of. What a wonderful family it is. And golly, the ideal at which you kind of profess and talk about well, how beautiful that can be. And how beautiful this can be if we all just continue to take our role and our place in your household as a brother and sister in Christ and, and serve and give and get in the active driver's seat and do. And God help us, Lord Jesus, to find rest in that as we continue to bring all these other places we're trying to find identity, as we let them go and surrender them to you, God, and bring them to you and help us. Oh, God, we do cry, Abba, Father, what a glorious, good Father you are. What an honor to be adopted into your family. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this, pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, and we all say together, amen. Amen. Lord, bless you all this week, especially teachers, students, 